ladies and gentlemen, before we kick off the show, I wanted to take a second to send a special message out about this episode. Uh, this episode was recorded early on, one of the first episodes that I had recorded when we started this podcast, and it's with a really good friend of mine. He's a uh, division chief over at Cypress Creek Fire Department. His name's Jason Corthell. His company's called Ironclad Wellness, and uh, mental health is something that obviously many people in this country struggle with every single day. And his goal is to provide mental health programs to fire departments, first responder agencies, police departments in the area, uh, and far beyond that mimic Cypress Creek Fire Department and how they've handled their peer support group. As first responders, we have to have each other's back. And without us being there for each other, oftentimes it feels like nobody else really is. Even though we have such a great community especially here in Tomball, Texas, that rallies around us during tough times. The timing of the release of this episode is so ironic. Last uh, week, he was talking to, Jason was talking to my fire chief and one of our lieutenants about trying to get Ironclad Wellness to come out to Tomball Fire Department to provide services so that we would be ready in the case that something drastic happened to our department. Unfortunately, on December 12th, 2021, we lost a firefighter, Rusty Alston. And we needed this program more than ever. So Ironclad Wellness stepped up and brought their entire team out and offered their services to our fire department. So I just wanted to take a time to let you know exactly how much this episode really means to me and how much this episode should mean to every firefighter in this country and how important not only mental health is, but being there for each other. So I just wanted to share that message and let you know that the timing of this was absolutely insane and, uh, that the services provided by Ironclad Wellness have been such a great help for our department. We got to just take time to remember Rusty and talk with each other, cry with each other, laugh with each other. And uh, all the while, man, we were just missing Rusty. So I wanted to take this moment to also dedicate this episode in loving memory of firefighter Rusty Austin, Tomball Fire Department, A-Shift. End of watch, 12-12-2021. I hope you enjoy the story of this episode for a lot more than just what we normally bring you every single Thursday. Please feel free to reach out to my brothers and sisters of Tomball Fire Department to express your condolences and to all of them that may be listening to this episode. I love you. I'm here for you as your brother. And I wish nothing but the best for us to honor Rusty. Rusty, this episode's for you, brother. Small businesses are the backbone of America, and they help keep the Texas spirit alive. But did you know as many as 50% will close their doors forever after just five years? Well, we're here to change that. This is the beef. This is the beef. We know how tough it is to be an entrepreneur today. That's why we're giving small business owners a platform to share their stories. You'll hear it all. The highs and the lows, the good and the bad, and everything in between. This is the Beef Podcast, presented by Beefy Marketing in partnership with Community Bank of Texas, an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Welcome back, y'all, to another episode of the Beef Podcast. I've got Jason Corthell here with me today from Ironclad Wellness. Jason, nice to have you here, bud. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. You guys uh, really uh, extended an invitation that I was very thankful for, and I am more than excited to get the word out there 
uh, about mental wellness in the uh, emergency services realm. Yeah, man. Honestly, I mean, you know my background. We've known each other for several years. So this has been a pretty exciting show for me that I've been looking forward to doing. Uh, I think it's definitely a topic we need to bring up in this this realm because it's just not something we talk about a whole lot at the station unless we're pretty close with each other. So I'm glad to have you here. Excited to have your company launching, Ironclad Wellness. Man, tell me about it. Tell me about you. Everything about it. Yeah, so this business idea that I had uh, really started in probably 2017. In 2016, I got hired as a district chief and had to find my niche pretty quickly. And I took on wellness, the wellness and fitness initiative for our department and got told pretty much, you know, it's your baby, run with it. And so when I got told that, I kind of took some of the low-hanging fruit, some of the gym stuff and the gym equipment and, and whatnot. And then I had a former volunteer firefighter that's now our safety officer come to me, Dr. Liz Fletcher, who is a professor at the Bauer School of Business uh, at U of H. She came to me and said, have you ever thought about the mental wellness side of things instead of just the physical wellness? And I kind of hem and hawed a little bit about, yeah, I've thought about it, but I didn't know how to go about things. And so her and I really hypothesized a bunch of different scenarios and what we want a program to look like. And so that's how we got the ball rolling within the department. And we came up with a three-tiered system that I'll explain a little bit more in detail later on. So with that, when you come up with a system in any kind of emergency services group, whether it's police, fire, or EMS, it's important to not only be able to implement a system that looks good for face value, but also you have to worry about the backside of things, the documentation, the SOPs, the SOGs, contracts, if you contract with somebody, so on and so forth. And so going through that experience and learning those things from myself from scratch really gave me an idea and really made me think that, you know, my fire chief, as supportive as he is and as great as he was during this process to give me a baby and run with it, he told me that, you know, this is your thing, you know, and, and I'm going to be hands off. And so what I wanted to do was take the program and implement it by speaking to other chiefs or other city council members or whoever, wellness and fitness directors, wellness and fitness coordinators, whoever, and tell them, hey, look, this is possible by doing X, Y, Z and tailor it to their departments. And like I said, whether it's police, fire, EMS, I'm taking into account the demographics, who they're serving, also the geographics, where are they at, how much money do they have coming in, and then also what services are locally available to them. Do they have a counseling service or a counseling group in their territory? And if they do, then, you know, maybe look at contracting with that group and then setting up a peer support group and setting up a chaplain program and all that stuff. So you really kind of just encompass all of the different aspects that someone could potentially use in the face of going through some adversity. And that's where the business idea side of this thing got started was to try to create a, a business where I could go to any department within the U.S. and say, hey, look, here's a box and open this box and this box is going to give you any type of service that you feel is fit for your, your department, whether again, please fire EMS. So with that comes with coaching and counseling, not professional counseling, but counseling through me on how to run a program and how to draft certain documents and certain kind of ways to navigate through some difficulties that I faced and bringing up some, some hard questions that I had to face. Just for example, one of them being insurance, you know, if this person has insurance and we contract with these counseling services, how does that all work? I want to be able to 
be kind of the uh, the coach in that instance and say, hey, look, this is what we did. See if your counseling group will allow that. If not, come back to me and we'll talk about some more options. And so that's what it is. It's coaching. It's mentoring. Um, it's speaking. I'm actually on the docket right now for potentially speaking at the Teach Leadership Symposium in 2022 in January. If not in 2022, then certainly in 2023 and a few other podcasts um, I've already been a part of. And it's just been really great to have the support of friends, family, coworkers, all these folks that reach out to me and they're like, hey, you know, they come alongside me because they know the, they know the need for this program. So again, just thank you guys for having me because it's so important to get this stuff out there. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think that it's something that, you know, we all talk about it at the station and we say, hey, this is something we need to focus on, guys, this mental health, this awareness of your mental stability and where you're at and being ready for the job. But when it comes down to it, what action do we really take on it? Yeah. And that's where I came from. That was kind of my stance on everything is like I developed the program and I could have just sit back and been like, man, this is awesome for Cypress Creek Fire Department. I can't, you know, I can't wait to launch this thing and just, you know, take all the credit in the world and, and what have you. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make sure that whatever we benefit from, I would try to deliver to the entire fire service as a whole and going to conferences and going to symposiums and FDIC and symposium in the sun and in Florida and all these, all these different gatherings, suicide awareness and mental health in the fire service was being brought up. And, and I, and I think rightfully so. And there were some great stories. Dr. Uh, David Griffin from the Charleston nine, I heard him speak three times. Uh, Jeff Dill with the firefighter behavioral health Alliance all those I've heard them speak multiple times and and the information they provide is 100% invaluable in what they give you the issue that I had was is how can I take the next step to say this is what you need to do if you have this problem not there's a problem in the fire service and so I thought to myself well I'm going to build a program that's going to address this is what we have for you when there is a problem not there's a problem. You understand what I'm saying? So Absolutely. like, you know, there's an awareness level. And I think that, that the awareness level is probably the most important level, but then there's an advanced level to that where it's like, okay, we're beyond awareness. Now we need to actually implement a system that can fix the problem that we're being made aware of. And that's where I'm at right now. And, and there's been some other, some other folks that have came to me and told me that, Hey, you know, we've used this system or this system worked great for us. And, and that's great. I'm glad to hear that and, and glad to hear that that's out there. But more often than not, the feedback that I'm getting from several people who are nationally known in the fire service have come to me and be like, dude, no one is doing what you're doing right now by embedding counselors in fire stations, by contracting with a counseling group, by paying for the first sessions for a, a husband and wife. Having peer support group trained, trained members, not just a group of, you know, ragtag folks that just want to help some people out. And, and you need those too, but having a formalized group and then just stress and confidentiality through all three phases of that chaplaincy, peer support group, and then obviously your counselors. See, that's the big thing is, you know, like I said, well, like you said, not just the awareness side of it, but just as I said, what are we actually doing about it? Because we talk about it at the station. We bring attention to it. We know it's a problem, but where is that action? So it sounds like Ironclad Wellness really is that business in a box style. Open this up and you've got your solution, whether you need 
uh, some consulting on how to set this up, or you actually need someone to come in and talk to your guys and gals, or if you need someone to just come be a speaker at one of your events. So you really do a lot. It seems like Ironclad does a lot more than just give you the SOG. Right, right. Yeah, no. And, and that, those are the services that we offer. You hit them right on the head. The one-on-one coaching and then obviously the speaking. I can speak at an event. I can speak to multiple departments in a region. I can well-versed. I can do any of those. But also the main thing that I wanted to get is the personal relationship with the decision makers at the top that say, hey, look, we don't know exactly what we're doing here. These are our resources that we think we have. Maybe vet them for us or maybe contact them for us and see if they're willing to work with us. I just kind of want to take the legwork out of the department and put it on myself and the, the business side of things. And I take care of that for them and then hand them, you know, like I said, hand them the box. They open the box and it's up and running. I mean, that's ultimately what I want to do is I just want to make it easy for them because it was not easy for us. I mean, this is a program four or five years in the making and it didn't need to take that long had I had somebody come alongside me and be like, hey, man, have you thought about this? These are the hurdles. Uh, Here's an SOG template. You know, you don't have to spend seven weeks on it and then it go to a labor attorney and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. I've already done that. And so I want to share that with others in the emergency service. Absolutely. So what would you say the biggest hurdle has been for you starting this and and going through this right now? Probably selling it to the guys and gals that I work with at the stations. The biggest hurdle from like a business aspect is there's always a little bit of self-doubt when you start a business. And, you know, is it really going to flourish? Is it going to take off? I just launched my website shoot probably a month ago. And, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of movement on it, but I have to understand that the mission is a lot bigger than likes and shares and all that stuff that if I get to help one department out there, that it's worth it. But then on the, on the face side of things, it's appealing to the guys and the gals at the firehouse, police station, EMS station, wherever you're at and letting them know that, It may not be for you right now, but five years from now, similar to my story, you may need that service and it's going to be there for you or your wife may need that service or your children, so on and so forth. And even if it's not for you, don't badmouth it because the guy or gal sitting next to you may be thinking of, of going that route and you just squashed anything that they had as far as momentum to go seek the help that they need. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've. I've seen that where certain guys or or girls are thinking about, hey, you know what, I might need to talk to somebody and then someone else just comes in. And it's hard for us because I use gallows humor a lot to cope with things. So I don't mean for that to get in the way of the way other people need to cope with things, because if you need to talk to somebody, I feel like that's what you should do. But at the same time, it may be inappropriate at times for us to kind of squash that with a joke or, you know, make it seem less significant. I know one thing I've struggled with, and it it seems like your business is a good solution for that, is most of the municipalities I've worked for, we have had some type of employee benefits package that does offer you can speak to an attorney for, for up to two times for free, or you can speak to a psychiatrist up to four times for each problem that you have, or you can speak to, you know, someone, but I don't connect with that psychiatrist. Because that is that psychiatrist a firefighter or have they been? Have they been a paramedic or an EMT 
or even law enforcement or anything that relates to us. So it seems like, and and explain that more for me as far as your peer support group, but I feel like more people would be willing to reach out to you or someone that works with you because they know that you've been there. You've yeah. done it. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. The peer support group, man, that's something that, um, I think emergency service as a whole has been doing with each other for a very long time. I just think the formal side of it being called a peer support group has come along recently and has kind of been a hot, hot topic. I wanted to make sure that the peer support group in itself was not just a group of guys and gals getting together and gossiping about another person's problem. And not to give it all away, but some of the some of the steps that I went through for that was a uh, survey that I put out to the, to the department. I had, a, I think, an 84-86% return rate on the answers, which is unheard of. I, I was at about 50, and then I really started to throw the propaganda out there to get more results, and I, and I got good ones. But two of the most important questions that I asked in that survey was who would you trust with your most treasured secrets professionally and personally? And I listed every person in our department and I told them to pick seven. And then the other one was, is would you be interested in being a member of the peer support group? And so with just those two, there were more questions, but with just just those two answers, I was able to formulate a group of folks that were trusted and also wanted to be part of the peer support group. There were very few that that were in the top, you know, probably seven folks that said they didn't want to be a peer support group member that people said they didn't trust and vice versa. So it really worked out nicely to be able to come up. And we ended up, I think, with 15 people initially. And then once we started the training and the paperwork and the memorandum of understanding and all that stuff, we actually bounced down to 11. So right now we currently we're sitting at 11 people, myself included, me being the director of the peer support group and Liz Fletcher being the assistant director. The only thing that we have access to is the email. And that is a QR code that we've put all around the stations that people can come up and they can scan on their phone. It takes them directly to an email. It's a peer support group department email and only myself and the assistant director can see that email. So, and it stays with us. The fire chief can't see it. The assistant chief can't see it. The other peer support group members can't see it. The reason we did that is because our peer support group is very diversified. We have men, we have women, we have old, we have young, we have married, we have single. We have people who are great with budgets. We have people who don't have kids. We have people who have six kids. And surprisingly enough, we also have uh, both of our chaplains, our, our peer support group, and those are voted on by people. Um, it wasn't like, oh, you're you're one of our chaplains, come do it. But also, we just hired a new captain from the city of Houston. He retired from the city of Houston, came over to us. But him and his wife, who have gone through some very, very tough times with the loss of a child and personal struggles, they're an older couple, but they wanted to come in. And the wife, who's not a member of the department, wanted to come in and offer her assistance as a peer support group member for other wives of firefighters. And so now what we're doing is we're kind of getting into the realm of we're not just going to help your firefighter, but if you and your wife need some mentorship, I have a couple here that's been married for 30 years and they're going to walk alongside y'all and tell y'all about the pitfalls and the good times of being in the fire service and being a spouse. And so I wanted to incorporate all that with the peer support group. And luckily we've, we've done that. 
peer support group is is something that's not used every day. Um, again, you have to just really remind yourself that I'm going to provide this service no matter what. And if it's used once in 50 years, it's done its job. And that's the hardest thing to to come to grips with, but it's true. And then also there's a confidentiality issue that comes with it too, because you're dealing with peers and peers have other peers outside of the peer support group. And there is a chance that things slip. And so we address that with a confidentiality clause with a memorandum of understanding between the peer support group members and the directors saying you will be confident in any kind of these conversations. And if you violate it, you will be kicked out of the peer support group and subject to further discipline. And really what that does is it allows people to have a peace of mind when they come to a peer support group member that their crap's not going to be strewn all over the place. How do we keep track of the the people or the numbers of people that we see? Their name is not listed on the log. So when you go see a peer support group member, the only person that knows that you had a peer support group interaction is just that member and the person who requested it. The only thing we ask for in our log is who the peer support group member was that was servicing that person. And then also the type of incident it was, the disposition, the date, time, all that stuff. But never once do we ask for a name to be put in the log. And that's just for funding. And so we can give the report to the fire chief and say, hey, look, this is working. We need to bump up financially or we need to maintain financially what we're doing with this program. And I think that is a that is a common thing in the fire service. Fire chief sometimes wants to get too involved and, and we're all fixers, right? And so for us, it's like, well, who, you know, who had marriage counseling? Who's having marriage trouble? I'll talk to them. I'll call them right now, you know, and, and it's with the best of intentions. But a lot of times if they think the fire chief knows, they think everyone knows. And so we try to curb that a little bit too, but that's pretty much the peer support program in a nutshell. There's obviously some intricacies that come in there and nuts and bolts to it all, but that's pretty much the peer support group. So do y'all help with that funding and budgeting side of things as far as making budget requests or justifying the financial side or the financial cost of all of this program? Yeah. So uh, being an ESD, we have a little bit of little bit of an easier time than dealing with the municipality. Obviously with the municipality, you're dealing with a, a pie and everyone's trying to get a big piece of pie. With the ESD, um, we're tax-based from property tax, sales tax, from citizens within our district. We live in a very densely populated, or we serve a very densely populated uh, 33 square mile area, which doesn't seem too big, but the amount of residents that we have in that area is is pretty large. And then of course, like you know, we're neighboring Houston. And so we serve a little bit of Houston as well. So, and then there's all the mutual aid stuff. So between all that, the funding hasn't been an issue, namely because I secured our first grant with Dr. Liz Fletcher and help from Gabriella, who works at Valencia Bilingual Services. She's secured grants for Katie and Atascacita. We caught wind of it. We brought her in. She helped us secure a a federal VOCA grant, a Victims of Crime Act grant. And that allowed us $244,000 to basically develop a program. Uh, Little did I know what that actually funded was the peer support group training to train our members, but also it trained our counselors who we were already in contract with. And like you alluded to earlier, you said, well, I'm a firefighter. They're not, they're not going to understand what I go through. So what that funded was 
is the embedding of the counselors. It allowed the counselors to come and sit in at fire stations, run calls with us, kind of get a glimpse into our crazy station life, and then the calls that we see. And it allowed them to build relationships with the counselor. And granted, that's one counselor out of an entire counseling center, but it's something and someone they can talk to. But furthermore, they were the counselors that we contract with got trained to better serve first responders. And so that's the difference between the EAP and my program is an EAP is great. And and that's great for, in my opinion, finance and, you know, parks and, you know, all these folks who need help. But when you're dealing with first responders, it's such a specific targeted group that go through so much different circumstance than just your, I would say, average city employee. And so for me, it was like, how do I make these counselors more tailored for firefighters? Well, we're going to put them through all kinds of training. And but I mean, all kinds, it's because there's so many acronyms now about what they're training that I just, I eventually got overwhelmed with how many acronyms there were for training. I had to get it broken down to me. Okay. What is this training and what is this training for? And how does it help our firefighters? They'd explain it and I'd say, okay, go do it. Because we had 244,000 extra dollars, you know, to mess with it. But what do you do in situations where you don't have that? That's kind of where I like to step in and talk about resources and availability and different counselors and different counselors that have maybe different walks of life and, and, and whatnot. So just because you, you don't have a grant doesn't mean you can't do this program. I don't want to, I don't want to put it out like that because this program is going to extend well beyond the life of our grant. Our grant ends in September of this year, which is coming up. And so when it ends, our fire chief has already said, whatever you need, just give me a ballpark number. And I know that's not always the case with a lot of departments. Some departments have a very strict budget, especially if you're working within a smaller volunteer department or a smaller city, uh, you might not have that. And that's where I want to come in and work with you about resource acquisition. And a lot of times there's a lot of people out there that want to help the fire department. And it's almost like we're, we're reclusive and we don't want to ask for help. It goes back to asking for help from a counselor. It's just like at the top level, you don't want to ask for help because I can run my fire department just just fine. You know, if my guys need help, they can come talk to me. And that's not always the case. But funding funding has been good. Uh, like I said, we're going to be uh, moving forward with the project. Fire chief is actually next week is the deadline for me to get the budget numbers to him. So I'm excited to be able to continue the program. Obviously, now that we've kind of front loaded the investment into our counselors and getting them up to speed with first responder care, there's not going to, it's not going to be a repeated expense. They have the training. They're good to go. They're already seeing a lot of our firefighters. I think we're probably close to 25, 30 firefighters or family members of firefighters that have sought counseling. And that's awesome. We're a 150 member department approximately right now. So it's nice to see that a good portion of our folks are going out there and they're seeking the help that they need. But uh, funding has been good, man. I can't complain. Absolutely. Well, I don't want to go in and rip open any closed up wounds or anything, man. But, you know, knowing you personally outside of this, obviously, it's a little bit of a cheat for me to already know that you have a reason why you do this. Ironclad Wellness is not just here because you're a district chief that was looking to take up some extra extra tasks and look really good to the fire chief. There's a personal reason. And if you don't mind sharing, man, I'd like you to open up as to what your why is. Why do you do this? Why are you so passionate about it? What events have transpired that have caused you to realize, hey, I got to be there for my guys and my gals that are out there on the front line? Yeah, no doubt. 
so in Mar- uh, March 27th of uh, 2015, at that time, I was actually going through a divorce. I was in the middle of a divorce. I had three small kids, beautiful babies, uh, love them to death. And I was going through some hard times, didn't realize how hard they were at the time. Uh, I was just doing what a normal societal divorced male does, going out every night, partying, uh, drinking way too much, just not living the life that I wanted to live. And on that day, uh, March 27th of 2015, I responded to a mutual aid fire with um, a local fire department that neighbors us. And we got assigned to go to the second the second floor. Actually, it was it ended up being the third floor because we had to make access to the attic uh, to go up there and uh, and try to get ahead of this fire that was up in the attic of an apartment complex. And while I was extending a hose line up to the third floor, we had a catastrophic collapse of the two and a half floor and the third floor uh, landings and stairwells. And both of those uh, came down on top of myself and one of my good friends, Gil Sanchez, and pinned us down pretty good. When it happened, I didn't know if the whole building had collapsed on top of us. I just knew there was something really heavy on top of me. And being a bigger guy, 6'4", close to 300 pounds, not being able to push myself off or out of something is a very strange feeling. So you don't know what, what was on top of you at that point. My radio and, and microphone ended up getting ripped out somewhere in the in the middle of everything. I had it because they had radio traffic with me prior to the collapse. So I know I didn't forget it, but it still had never been found even after the incident. So I, I didn't know anyone had called a mayday. I didn't know had anyone really seen it. And again, I didn't know what was on top of me. I didn't know how many people were with me underneath everything, nothing. And then I heard my best friend Gil calling out to me and I had my, um, I had one arm pinned underneath me where I was trying to reach for my radio that wasn't there to call a mayday. And then I had another arm extended out in front of me. That's just kind of how I fell. And I was able to kind of reach his right leg and his left leg was pinned up against the wall and he had felt fallen on some embers. And so I was trying to sweep away some of the embers from underneath him because he said that it, it was burning pretty good. So I hate to cut that story a little bit short, but but long story short, I uh, ended up severely uh, with a severely damaged knee with some a little bit of neck and head injuries. And uh, obviously, my buddy Gil was mentally affected by it pretty well um, enough to essentially end his fire service career. So that was kind of the time where I looked back and thought to myself, you know, there's a need for people to be able to get help in these situations and not just these situations. Cause a lot of times what we're finding out now is uh, PTSD and, and anxiety and depression and all those nasty things that a lot of people, not just firefighters are experiencing, but firefighters and, and, and police officers and, and paramedics, all of them is compound stressors. It's not the, you know, dead baby at two in the morning. That's just the end all be all. You know, that's, that's a huge blow and that sucks to make. I've, I've made them, but that's a straw on the camel's back. And, you know, when you go through a divorce and then you go through financial instability and then you experience a catastrophic collapse with a mayday and then you're not coping the right way, you're, you're having alcohol, you're, you know, out with bad friends, you know, and, and, and doing things that, that are not healthy and that are dangerous and, and, 
sometimes it gets to the point where folks are doing drugs and doing illegal things. Thankfully, I was able to stay off of that route, but I know that that route is out there and that that has been taken by several emergency service members. And so that's why this project and this business is near and dear to my heart is because I've been there and I've struggled through that. I've been diagnosed with PTSD and anxiety. I do take medication to balance that out. And it's a game changer. It doesn't change who you are. It doesn't make me a robot. It just makes me back to what I perceive to be normal, even though we're in 2021 and there is no normal, but it makes me back to who I really am. Um, And I'm not just a stress ball that's ready to snap at the next person who says something crazy to me. So that story, among with a couple other stories that I've had um, and experience that I've had that I talk about in my lectures are really the defining moments of why I decided to provide this service to people. So it's not to get rich. It's not to uh, get famous and none of that. It's literally because I feel in my heart that this is the direction that I'm being led to serve other firefighters. Being a fourth generation firefighter, my great grandpa, my grandpa, my dad are all firefighters. I had always been told and and it's been funneled down to my dad that you leave the fire service better than you found it. And as cliche as that may be to some folks, um, I really do take that to heart. If I can leave this place better than I found it for hopefully a fifth generation in my kids uh, joining the fire service, then I feel like that's the ultimate goal in the end to be able to do that. When you hit rock bottom, when you were all the way down, you were with Cy Creek Fire Department at the time, correct? Were you a district chief already? No. So I was part-time with Cypress Creek. I was a lieutenant on the uh, day crew. So we ran 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. The call dropped at like 5.54 p.m., of course, uh, right before I got off work. But I was full-time at Pearland Fire Department. And um, I believe I was a driver there at the time in Pearland. And the camaraderie that I experienced um, going through that instance, I had, we had just formed a union in Pearland. And the union immediately took off with a benefit, um, started, you know, selling, I, I can't remember if it was briskets or, or chickens or what, but they started selling things for me, presented me with a check. I mean, all kinds of stuff. They blasted me all over Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the news, which was good at first because it made me feel a little bit validated and treasured, but then it just turned into an onslaught of phone calls and Facebook messages. And and everyone wanted my story. Everyone wanted to talk to me. And it got overwhelming to the point where, you know, I pretty much had to shut everything down. I didn't really have anyone to filter what was good and what was bad for me. And in my state, I just before that incident, I thought everything was good for me. Any fame is good fame. Right. And, and, you know, especially if I was drinking, I mean, that was the, that was like the top notch thing to happen was I get all this exposure, you know, but laying there on the couch when you can't drink because you're recovering from a, you know, complete knee reconstruction surgery and, and you start realizing things and start thinking about things. So I, I was at Cypress Creek during the time of the, during the time of the collapse, I was, that's who I responded with. And I'll just say, you know, between Pearland and guys covering shifts for me and not asking for me to pay them back was amazing. That's a lot of money and that's time away from their family. And so I'm forever indebted indebted to those guys who rode the shifts for me when I didn't have to take sick time and didn't ever ask for a payback. And then on the Cypress Creek side of things, they took care of me. They had 
the insurance side of things covered. They had a secondary insurance through VFIS, which covered any kind of gap that I would suffer in my pay. And then on top of that, the guys and gals would stop by on the trucks every day or every other day just to come in, check on me, change out my ice, make sure I was doing okay, deliver meals. I had several families and, and people come by and eat dinner with me, just really rallied around me. The only shortfall was, is there wasn't a lot of recognition on the mental health side of things. You know, on the outside, I put out a good, you know, put out a good uh, facade and, and just kind of carried on and just pretending like I was just being myself. But on the inside, I wish that somebody would have came to me and said, hey, man, I know you hurt physically, but I know there's got to be some mental stuff. These are services that we provide to you. And that's not a, a fault of Pearland, not a fault of Cypress Creek. That's just where the fire service was at that time. We didn't have those services. And that was my question. You know, you hit it on the head there was when you were at that rock bottom, what options did you have available to you? And like you said, you know, we think when we see these things and people aren't bringing them forward, which we're not always comfortable bringing them forward, we see that and we say, well, everything must be going good. So we got a good program going and we might because, you know, working with you at Pearland, I remember the EAP and I use the EAP. And I thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. But if it came down to a mental health issue, I guarantee I would not have even thought to reach out to them for that. So that's what I like about your product. That's what I like about your company. And I guess my, my final question would be, if there was one message you could get across to that fire chief or that city council or that mayor or that firefighter that's down there at the bottom and just says, I want this program here but maybe they don't have the money. Maybe they don't have the power to ask for that. Maybe they're struggling with something. If there's one message you could get across to your ideal customer, what would that be? And I think ultimately is that the need is there. And the, and, and the thing that, that I've said throughout this entire interview has been, you know, if it helps one person, one person that's paid for itself, think about, especially as a fire chief or as a city council or, or mayor or whoever, if you're in a leadership position, think about the amount of money that you've spent on that person. And, and, and I'll put a value on a person if, it, if that's the route that it's going to take to get this through to somebody. I hate to do it because I don't think people have value. But if you take training value, you take gear, you take all this stuff that you've provided them over, let's say, five years, it is a lot more money than implementing a program like this to have to replace that person because they either cut out and say, Hey, I can't do this anymore or inevitably. And, and, and I hope to God not, but they end up taking their lives or hurting themselves. The money that you're going to spend on that is going to be far more of a loss than it will be to launch a program like this. The business I have is flexible. It's not a one-stop shop. I'm not going to say for four easy installments of $149.99, you can have this exact program. That's not the way that this thing's going to be ran. I'm not going to leave you in the dust. I'm not going to say, hey, your program is not going to launch because you have no hope. I'm sorry. And you take a loss. That's not my goal. And that's not going to happen. What I'm going to tell you is realistic expectations and say, hey, these are the resources that I'm finding in your area. I can reach out to them if you'd like, or we can reach out together and we will collaborate with them as a team. And let's see what we can do as far as a program for you. And then once that happens, all the documentation, and everything like that, that all comes afterwards. But that's all the template. 
it's already been drafted. It's already been vetted. And there might have to be a few changes here and there just due to where you're at geographically. But for the most part, all that language is there for them. So one thing I would say is, is it's a needed entity in your department. I can't agree any more than I already do, man. Is there anything else that you want to get out there on this podcast before we end it? No, just, you know, again, I thank you guys for hosting me again. Look for me also, uh, hopefully on a speaking circuit soon. I'm getting my applications out there and trying to get uh, hooked up with several different organizations and also visit the website at uh, www.ironcladwellness.com and reach out to me at an email, jason at ironcladwellness.com. And I would love to work with y'all. Great, man. Well, once again, I can't thank you enough for coming out and doing this. I know as excited as you are to be here, it's exciting for us to have you here. It's a great topic. It's a great company and it's something that needs to be handled. So I'm really happy that somebody's stepping up in our area to do that. And it's been a pleasure to have you here, man. All right. Thanks, brother. You have a good day. All right. You too. You've been listening to the Beef Podcast, sponsored by Community Bank of Texas, an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. For more small business stories, follow Beefy Marketing on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. To share your story, visit us at beefymarketing.com. Till next time, thanks for listening to the Beef.